Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 says, These six things the Lord hates. Somebody say the Lord hates stuff. Alright, so there's some stuff that the Lord hates. And I think we need to become well acquainted with what God hates because we should hate what God hates. We should never find ourselves in the position of doing what God hates. How many of you want to be a vessel or a tool and have things coming out of your mouth and doing things in your life that God hates? Now, there's a lot of things that the Lord hates, but of course, there's some specific things, and these things that God hates are more in particular how it not affects your life. You know, the the problem here is, it's one thing for you to do things that God hates when you're walking in some hidden sin of some sort. That's one thing, but it's quite another thing when your life becomes a product of hurting others. That's when God gets a little bit irritated, and this is what we're talking about here. It says, yeah, these six things the Lord hates, and this is not a word of condemnation at all. I'm just telling you, reading the Bible to you, that's it, okay? This is, yeah, these seven are an abomination. So six things the Lord hates, but the seventh, God says, is an abomination. Are you with me? It says, a proud look... A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and of course, contextually, we can understand at the time, you know, if somebody wasn't happy with somebody, they would go shed some blood. Somebody was going to get cut. I will cut you. You know, that's the way they were. Of course, in society, mostly not in the church, God forbid, we're not seeing a lot of Christians cutting each other physically, but they cut each other with their mouths and their actions. And then a heart that devises wicked plans. In other words, and we're going to talk about the flesh a lot here today. And we'll get to that in a minute. Feet that are swift in running to evil. In other words, we're always in the middle of drama. Always drama. Drama, drama, drama. Something's always going on. Swift to be in the middle of chaos. Always something going on. And a false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord. Now the seventh, the Bible says, is an abomination. These six things the Lord hates. Are you with me? Seven are an abomination. Really, in English, in the Elizabethan English that it's put in here, it's saying these six things the Lord hates... And the seventh is an abomination. But he also hates that too. Alright, so in other words, this comes into another category. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Hmm. I believe the Lord is not really pleased with that seventh one the most. Because Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Alright? So, 
when the Bible says one who sows discord among the brethren is an abomination, it's like painting a picture for you this morning. Jesus is building his church and he's spiritually speaking. If you could just go with me in a spiritual image in your head right now, we're, we've got somebody doing some bricklaying, cement, and we're laying the, you know, the external walls of the house that are going up. And Jesus has got that little device, whatever you call it, the little spade thing, and he's throwing cement up, and then he's putting a brick up, and then he's wiping it clean and getting the next bit of cement and putting the next brick up. But one who sows discord is the equivalent of the person who stands next to Jesus while he is layering the walls and he is building his church and removing the brick as he's trying to put it on. Are you with me? Okay. Jesus said he'll build his church. And the Lord says, the seventh is an abomination that he who sows discord among the brethren. And I can quite honestly say this. We must be very careful on what we allow to come out of our mouths. Are you with me? Because the sower, the Bible says, sows the seed. Talking about the farmer. So you can be sowing seed that will produce death in a circumstance that is not of the Spirit of God, that is outside the legitimacy of the authority of God, and you could be sowing discord, or you can have things coming out of your mouth that go into the soil. God's Word comes into our heart, and obviously that soil, that, that seed needs to uh, 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 die and do its thing and begin to mature and bring forth the fruit, but that is the seed of God's Word. Everything starts in the form of a seed. In the beginning, God said, and Jesus was the Word of God that proceeded out of the mouth of God when God said, and the Holy Spirit, when God spoke, breathed upon the cross. Christ, the word coming that proceeded out of the mouth of God, and all things that exist that we know exist, including you and I, were formed. And we have the ability through the words of our mouth to speak life and death. Say that with me life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it shall eat the fruit. There's always a fruit inside of what comes out of our mouths. Because every seed will yield a fruit. Amen? And if you are... That's what I always look for. I always ask myself, what am I preaching? What am I declaring? God to your people. And then I'll start with the end in mind. What does the tree look like and what do the fruit look like? And if it produces fruit and it produces growth and it produces something that contributes to a healthy body, then I'm like, all in. I'm going all in. Are you with me? Okay. Uh, now, when I talk about the flesh here, because this thing called witchcraft that operates through anybody that can have a moment of weakness of the flesh or a weakness in the flesh. When I'm talking about the flesh, I'm not talking about the old man, the old nature. How I many of you realize that when Christ died, you died? Yes. 
When he rose, you rose. You don't exist with a born-again spirit and an old nature. You are not schizophrenic. Are you with me? The Bible, you know, and, and I like the NIV translation. It's a great translation. All right. But when it comes to the old nature, it's not like the New American Standard Bible. I mean, that is as close to that. Are you with me? It's not It's because it, it changes up the inference of the old man and will have you still thinking that you exist as a Christian with an old nature at the same time. No, the old nature was your inability to receive any salvation that Adam lost for you. The old nature was what you possessed that you could never change by the power of your own strength at all. That because it wasn't even your fault that you had an old nature. When you were born, are you with me? And you came out of your mother's womb. You were not born a sinner because you sinned. How many of you came out of your mother's womb and you were a sinner? Because as soon as you came out of your mother's womb, you heard me say this before on a Thursday night, you went straight down the road to look for the closest cocaine dealer. You bought a line of cocaine and you snorted it, or you found the first bar, or you committed adultery or fornication when you came. You were not born a sinner because you sinned. For you to sin, you have to have committed a sin. Anybody here? Yes. You were born a sinner because Adam transgressed. That's why the Bible says in the book of Romans that because of one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. I didn't say that. Amen. It's the word of God that says it. But when you were made alive, your spirit that was cut off because of what Adam did was made alive. In other words, the old man that was dead, spiritually cut off, you were spiritually dead, was now made alive. That's your spirit it's talking about. Your condition. So when Jesus, uh, and, and, and I just want to quickly, I have to do this, for, for, just so that we have a good understanding. In the book of Romans, there are approximately 43 times that the word sin or sins, plural, are mentioned and probably about 3% of the time it's talking about sin in the form of the verb. And 97% of the time it is talking about the noun sin, meaning your condition of being cut off from God. Take it back. When you came out of your mother's womb, you weren't a sinner because you sinned. You were a sinner because Adam sinned. Are you with me? In fact, if there's anything we can say about a newborn baby, is that, I mean, they are the picture of innocence. Are you with me? They've done no wrong. But yet they're still born a sinner because of what Adam did. So, to understand sin as a noun in the book of Romans chapter 6, Read all about it. There it says that the same way that that Jesus died to sin. So then we've got to ask ourselves, how did Jesus die to sin? Because we've got to ask ourselves that question, right? Did Jesus die to sin through sinful actions? Or did he die to the condition 
of the transgression of Adam that cut us off from God so that he could bring us into being a new creation again. A noun is a person, a place, or a thing. A verb is an action to do or commit something in action. That is the sin word in the form of a verb. The sin in the the noun is talking about your condition apart from God. Are you with me? So how did Christ die to sin? Did he die to sin in sinful actions and verb? Because if we say Jesus sinned, then we blaspheme. So Jesus never died to sin through sinful actions. He died to the sin noun. The sin of the world was put upon his body. Are you with me? But he died so that the condition that Adam lost for us to be reconciled with a born again spirit would be made possible again. Because you can have... You can have a, you can be cut off from God. Listen to me very carefully. You can be cut off from God and, 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 and uh, uh, an unbeliever, and there is nothing that you can do, not even, uh, you, can, you can become as righteous as you can possibly be, which would be self righteousness. You can be an unbeliever, a heathen, and you can even fast, and you can stay at home all day. You can abstain your eyes from every form of sin that we would call sin. Big ones and small ones, short ones, fat ones, tall ones, any kind of sin. But no amount of abstinence will get and procure for that individual salvation apart from Christ coming in and making your dead spirit alive to God again. Are you with me? That is what he's talking about. Amen? Amen. So let's just sink that ship, if you will. So when we deal with the flesh in the subject of the spirit of witchcraft, we are not talking about the old nature. We are simply talking about, what are we talking about? We are talking about you live in a physical body, that if you are going to yield to the dictates of this physical body, this physical body, even though you have a born-again spirit in it, will do what it wants if you will not exercise self-control, if you will not get your stuff together and say, God, by your spirit and by your anointing, I yield to this born-again spirit and not to my flesh, because the Bible says that the flesh is in enmity with the spirit. Amen. So we have a lot of believers in the church that are born again, but are full of the flesh. Amen again. Are you with me? Love Jesus, but are as carnal and no deeper than one inch. Love Jesus on a Sunday, but live however they want every other day of the week. When they don't get their way, they say what they want to get their way, which is witchcraft. Mm. Come on. Galatians 5.17 in the New American Standard Bible says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, which is what I was just talking about, and the spirit against the flesh. So... The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. There's an enmity with the spirit. So the flesh, not your old nature, you're a born again creation. 
Well, that can't be right because I can still sin. How come I'm a new creation and I can still sin? Why can I still sin? Well, let me just ask you something. How many of you realize that the day you got saved, you still took your head with you out the door? You, when you came in with a red jacket on, you walked out after giving your life to Jesus, you still had a red jacket on. You still possessed the same brain. The salvation never took place in your brain. It took place in your spirit. And now your brain has to catch up and be renewed to the fact that you are born again. And that brain is either yielding to your flesh or that brain and your mind, your will and your emotions are yielding to the spirit. But that is not a case that you build to say that you still have an old nature. No, you were transferred out of one kingdom out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But now that you're in the kingdom of light, we've got to get the darkness out of your head. Amen. But your spirit is born again. Amen. Is that all That's it. Galatians 5.17, the Passion Translation, same verse. I like what it says here. For your self-life, what is a self-life? The life of the flesh. The stinking flesh. Are you with me? This body that we live in. How many of you realize that when I'm talking about the flesh, that flesh is the thing that when you go to bed on Sunday night and you wake up in the morning, oh, I don't want to go to work. <laughs> I don't know anybody like that. I don't feel like seeing this person at work. <laughs> that person irritates me. Come on, bro. Your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder Him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings in your born-again spirit hinder your old self. The man of the flesh. Are you with me? Life, your old self-life dominating you. So when you, when you, how many of you discover that even though you were born again, you still had some old behaviors? Does that mean you're not saved? No. That's what the renewing of the mind's there for. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what it is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove that. <laughs> Come on. So in other words, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are a born-again believer. Be transformed in your mind. Let the Word come. Be renewed by the washing of the water of the Word of God. Yes, hallelujah. Your head has to play catch up. Are you with me? Nobody said having the fruit of the Spirit was easy. But we've got to learn to love others as we love ourselves. And not sit and plot and plan how I'm going to get rid of an individual from my life so that I don't have to deal with them anymore. That's not the way this works. No. Just get the fruit of the Spirit and start loving them the way Jesus loves them. And your perspective about that person is going to change. Because the moment you start going into those other areas, that's called manipulating a situation. And manipulation is synonymous with witchcraft. 
Are you with me? So 1 Samuel chapter 15, I want you to, I'm going to read just verse 1 through 3 here. The, uh, then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now listen to the words, Saul. I'm going to tell you something, Saul, as a prophet of God. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. In other words, the Amalekites. For what they did to Israel. Now he set himself, and Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Now he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now, Saul, go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him. Do not spare him. But put to death both man, woman, child, and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul, wipe them off the map. Are you with me? And then there's what Saul chose to do instead. Alright? So you can find what Saul chose to do instead from verse 10 all the way through verse 23. And this is now. Now, when the word of the Lord came to Samuel, verse 10, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as a king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told, uh, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and, uh, and he has performed, and uh, blessed are you of the Lord, I have, and then Saul, sorry, this is, uh, then Samuel went to Saul, sorry, and said to him, blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord, but Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. Come on, we're going to turn this into a very spiritual thing. <laughs> and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Come on, there is a message that we can go off right there. They took the best of the sheep and they offered them to the Lord. But that's not what God told you. Come on. We're going to turn it around to benefit us and then we're going to sell it off as spiritual because we're going to wrap it up in worship. Are you with me? Then Samuel asked, uh, Samuel said to Saul, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, you were not the head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel. Now the Lord has sent you on a mission. And he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? I mean, hey, that looks wonderful. And this is why. We have to be so discerning. Because in the natural, Saul here, and I'm going to end off on, on, on this here, because I'm going to have to continue into a part two here, which we're going to actually talk about the definition of witchcraft, what the definition of the spirit of, of, spirit of witchcraft is all about. But how many of you have been blessed already today? 
So this is going to be a part two next week, which I didn't plan on doing, but I'm going to have to. So this looks really great. Are you with me? You know, after all, Saul didn't go kill somebody. That's good, right? We kept the, the sheep, we didn't kill everybody. And uh, so many people would have been in agreement with Saul. And today there is illegitimate authority operating. And it looks good because after all, we didn't kill them all. After all, uh, there's no harm in, in doing these things and this and that. And we have no discernment to recognize legitimate or illegitimate authority. Oh, somebody. I am, not the, I am not the critic of the church. I do not stand here to judge the church, meaning God's people. But I am perhaps going to the level at which some of that spirit of witchcraft... Now, this is a two-way street. Because in one sense... The spirit of witchcraft is operating in a lot of leadership. And in the other sense, the spirit of witchcraft is happening down in the pews in the lives of people who have nothing better to do with their tongues than speak about other people and manipulate situations. And become an abomination to the Lord through the words of their mouth. These six things the Lord has yea, these seven. The seventh is an abomination. Those who sow discord among the brethren. But on the other front of leadership, I will tell you that the kingdom of God is not a business. It's not a franchise. We don't wake up one morning going, man, you know, I really wish I could be a pilot. Man, you know, actually, being a pastor would be wonderful. We go ahead and find out how to build a church. We'll go follow this particular model. They seem to have great success. And I've said this many times, I think maybe once or twice in this church, there was a, a great big conference somewhere here, and this is not a knock on, I, I'm American, I'm proud to be American, I come from Africa, a lot of what's going on in America is also going on in Africa, so we're guilty of the same thing in the church, in the kingdom, are you with me? But anyway, this Chinese individual showed up in one of the conferences, and they interviewed him, and they said, well, what do you think? Because there were thousands of people there, and the Chinese individual said, I'm so amazed at how much you can get done without the Holy Spirit. Oh We can build church. We can do a lot of things if you follow a program and you follow this and you follow this. But there's no power. People come in oppressed, they leave oppressed. There's no life in it. And that's not, and this is what I'm saying. I'm very cautious on what's coming out of my mouth. I'm not attacking the church because even at that, Jesus still loves those in there. Do you understand that? But it doesn't mean that God has sanctioned many, much of it. Alright, so let's not, let me just make the lines. I'm, I'm blurring the lines here. It does not mean that God sanctioned a lot of it. Alright. So, and Saul said, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. 
really. Let's go back to verse 1 through 3. Now, when Saul says, Samuel says to Saul, Now, now, he says to him, Go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that is here, and do not spare him. Put to death both man, woman, child, infant, oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. Don't keep anything. Destroy them all. That's what God's instruction was. And here Saul is saying, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And God on a mission which the Lord sent me and brought Abag, uh, Agag king back. I brought him back. And I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the plunder of the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so this is where Samuel says, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's where the Bible talks about it's better. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, many of us come to God with a soul attitude. And we go, God, we've done all these things for you. (laughs) And look how great they are. Come on. Come on, I'm talking about that posture of... We've done all these things for you. And God says, I didn't ask you to do any of that. And we go to him like the some of the stuff that we're dealing with in our lives. We go to him with the attitude of this is what we've done for you. Like this should, all this stuff should not be happening because we've done this for you. And God's saying, I never asked you to do that. I never asked you to do that. God cannot bless what He does not sanction. God cannot bless what He does not authorize. Because if He did, He would keep you in your mess. And He would keep on doing the very things that He continues not to sanction. That's why He can't bless it. Because if He did, He keeps you in your mess. God's not, His nature isn't to keep you in confusion. Are you with me? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Listen, hear the instruction, obey the instruction, and it will be well with you. Are you with me? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, God is gracious and He's merciful. We're not, we're not talking about the merciful graciousness of God here because that's abundant because even when you mess up and God says to you but I never asked you to do that you unfortunately go through a situation God never sanctioned and it might be rough for a little while but God still through his grace and mercy carries you through but you went through something unnecessary that you could have avoided That's why we've got to have wisdom to obey the voice of God. You see, wisdom applied today is a miracle prevented tomorrow. 
I'll say that again. Miracle, uh, wisdom applied today is a miracle prevented tomorrow. That's why, you know, many people say, well, you know, God hasn't called, God's called us to go from glory to glory, line upon faith, line faith to faith. I can find that in the Bible. It doesn't say you're going from miracle to miracle. God hasn't called the church to go from miracle to miracle. Are you with me? God wants the church to use wisdom so that they don't have the need for a miracle half of the time because they're just not using wisdom. Wisdom in their health. Wisdom with their finances. Always in a financial bind. Always something going wrong. It's like a hole in your pocket. No, it's not, it's not your pocket that's the problem, nor is it God. It's your ability on how to use the money correctly. Are you with me? And it's a very, very common thing inside of the church world. It's the same people consistently needing a miracle. Something's wrong somewhere when you're always needing a miracle. Yes, thank you. And I'm not, I'm for miracles. We're not talking about miracles through the laying on of hands and the power of God being imparted. We're talking about the miracles you need for the lack of wisdom. And then he says, I'm not interested in your sacrifice for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. So he's both guilty of rebellion to God and he is guilty of stubbornness, which is as an iniquity. So rebellion is like witchcraft and stubbornness is like idolatry. Stubbornness, where does stubbornness occur? Thank you. Up here. And the Bible says stubbornness is like idolatry. Why? You worship your ideology in your head more than you can surrender to what God's asking you to do. Are you with me? And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now I've got good news here. This was prior prior the cross. So I'm going to end on a good note. I'm going to end on a good note. This was before the cross. Thank God that because of Jesus, that He became your righteousness for you. That if we have made mistakes on this side, God isn't sitting talking to you like He did to Saul through the prophet Samuel, because Samuel is the spokesperson and the mediator between God and Samuel. Prophet is in the middle of it, and he is speaking on behalf of God to the king. And thank God, in this new covenant, God has made us all prophets, priests, and kings. And God is saying that thank, that's where you begin to thank God for His goodness, and you begin to thank God because of His grace, because if it was just up to you, you would be cooked. Amen. We would all be like Saul and we would have the anointing removed with promise. Are you with me? Yes. But because God looks at you as the righteousness of God, He's not dealing with you on your weaknesses and your flaws. He's dealing with you with the strength of Jesus' righteousness inside of you. He deals with you with the strength, not not in your weakness, he's dealing with the strength of his righteousness inside of you. To say, hey, it's okay. Now, not okay, carry on doing it. It's okay. 
Look at who I have made you to be. Because of who I've made you to be, can you lean a little bit more on that and understand and begin to allow your life to be governed from what the strength of what I've created you to be in Christ? See? Now we begin to allow our lives to be governed from that inner righteousness that was given to you as a gift. Not yours. Yours is self-righteousness. His is perfect righteousness. Are you with me? Come on. So, so we're getting into this here. So Saul is operating in a place of witchcraft. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at what that witchcraft. We're just kind of just dove into the beginning of this. How many of you have been blessed today? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.